Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving. Like Organifi green juice with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels or Organifi Gold, a superfood tea that supports rest and relaxation so you can wake up feeling refreshed. Each Organifi blend is easy to use by simply mixing it with water or your favorite beverage while on the go, and they don't compromise quality for taste. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Go to www.organifi.com backsplash Carlin and use code Carlin, K-A-R-A-L-Y-N-N-E for 20% off any item in the store. That's organifi.com backsplash Carlin and code Carlin for 20% off any item. Dr. Jenny Flagar attended medical school at Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine. She then went on to residency at St. Vincent's Mercy Medical Center for Emergency Medicine. Dr. Jen spent one year flying with Life Flight as a flight physician. She now works at local emergency rooms in the community and in her office in Perrysburg, Ohio, practicing integrative medicine. She is a graduate from the University of Arizona, Andrew Whale Center for Integrative Medicine's two-year fellowship program. She is currently board certified in emergency medicine and integrative medicine. Dr. Jen loves speaking and lectures to physicians at conferences, including the AOA, American Osteopathic Association. Her own health history of Hashimoto's, which is now in remission, sparked her interest in integrative medicine. She is very passionate about helping patients with chronic disease and teaching them now to let the body heal itself. I am so excited to have Dr. Jenny Flagar here with me today. I love following her on Instagram. She teaches so many great things on Instagram. And so thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here today with me. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to, to discuss all the things today. Oh, good. Well, first of all, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got started in integrative medicine. Well, so I went to osteopathic medical school at LECOM and I really wanted to be a DO over an MD. I, you know, looked at all the med schools and stuff and I wanted to be able to look at the body as a whole and we do osteopathic manipulation where we align the vertebrae, you know, similar to what chiropractors do. And I was really excited for that for medical school. So I, I got out of medical school. I went to emergency medicine residency, a three-year residency. And I went out. I loved ER. I wanted to change the world and help people. And then I got kind of stuck um, practicing in the emergency room because people keep coming back with the same chronic diseases. They're like, yes, I went to the GI doctor. Yes, I went to my primary care doctor and they were still in pain, still having symptoms. So um, 
for me, uh, I also was struggling with an autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which was diagnosed in medical school. And they told me there was nothing you could do. So oh, wow. between, yes, they said, there's nothing you could do. You just take medicine. It doesn't mean anything, you know, mm-hmm. and really in the medical books, there isn't much to do, but you wait till the thyroid burns out and you go on thyroid medication. So after I had my first son and I was, you know, doing cloth diapering and breastfeeding, and I was seeing this whole other world and I'm like, okay, I I need to go back and do a fellowship in integrative medicine. And I, I changed my diet, healed my thyroid, you know, all of that. So through all of that learning and learning that conventional medicine and integrative medicine, you know, which is like more holistic medicine can be combined and work beautifully. It's just been a passion of mine to, to talk about it and and help people heal themselves. Let's actually talk about integrative medicine versus like the typical Western medicine, because I feel like everybody out there is either one, like supports one or the other. Tell me listeners, like what the differences are, but can't we merge them together a little bit better? Right. We can. I feel like it's so polarizing and it's frustrating and you could either be, you know, you're one extreme or the other, you can't be both. So Dr. Andrew Weil, he's kind of like the founder of integrative medicine. And that is the fellowship I did. And he does a really great job of keeping integrative medicine evidence-based. So the defining principles of integrative medicine are the patient and practitioner, their partners in the healing process. So, you know, you're not being talked to, you're not being told what to do. It's a partnership. You're going to learn together about the journey and, and help the patient feel better. So we look at everything. So mind, spirit, community, the physical body. So that's one thing I loved about integrative medicine is, you know, my fellowship was amazing. We had monks come and talk to us. We did sound bowl healing, really looking at all those other things that you normally wouldn't. Um, We do use conventional medicine also, and we know that there sometimes is a hard stop or times where you can't just rely on more integrative medicine or more natural things or supplements. You know, sometimes medications are needed because of our genetics and or environment or willingness to change things. So, um, you know, it's, it's a good birth of both conventional Western conventional medicine and holistic medicine, and it works fabulously. I have benefited from Western medicine and I have benefited from integrative medicine. And so I am constantly trying to tell people like, use the best of both worlds, use them together and you'll see amazing results. So, and I love that integrative medicine, they'll help you find the root cause of your issue. Cause if you have hormonal issues or, you know, something going on, there's usually an underlying cause. So I love that you guys will help find that. Yeah, absolutely. There, there is. And a lot of the time symptoms are just warning signs. Our bodies are very intelligent. So if we get headaches or painful periods, it's our bodies trying to tell us, Hey, something's off. You need to work on that. And I feel like with conventional medicine, we were taught, here's a symptom, here's a medication. And that's opposite of what I do now. If someone has a symptom, I'm like, okay, what, why, you know, why do you have that symptom? What is your body trying to tell you? Let's not just cover it up and put a bandaid. Let's get down to the bottom of it. I love that philosophy. That's so great. 
I want to talk to you today about immunity. You've been talking a lot about immunity on your Instagram site. Immunity is such an important topic these days with the pandemic and everything like that. But let's start at the very basics for people. What exactly is immunity and what is the immune system? Yeah, so the immune system is what God gave us to help fight off viruses and bacteria because they're out there and it is known that they're out there. We, you know, we're in contact with bacteria and viruses every day and we have them in our body. We're actually, our gut is comprised of millions and millions of bacteria that we need to be in balance and happy. So our immune system is something that is working constantly and we need to make sure we're doing things that it functions properly. Is the immune system just in the gut or is it other parts of the body as well? Other parts of the body. So our skin is part of a barrier of the innate immune system. Like you said, our gut health that keeps invaders out of our bloodstream. So we have built-in mechanisms to help to help fight viruses. And then we get down to our blood and our blood is very important. And we talk about antibodies. So actually let's talk about antibodies. What exactly are antibodies? You hear that a lot like, oh, do you have COVID antibodies or do you have antibodies to this? What exactly are those? And so antibodies are, it's like a lock and key. So if a virus comes into your body, your body says, oh, hey, this is something different. And there's going to be an antigen that the body produces an antibody as like a lock and key to go onto the virus. The antibody is going to go onto the virus and either neutralize it or try to destroy it or get rid of it because it's a foreign body or a foreign invader. So antibodies help us, our body, once it sees something bad in our body, it creates antibodies to help fight it or get rid of it. So antibodies are good when it comes to bacteria, viruses, because our body wants to get rid of that so we can go on and be healthy. The problem with antibodies, well, you know, sometimes people might get confused about antibodies. Are they good? Are they bad? Well, they can be bad with autoimmune diseases because what happens sometimes when our gut gets leaky and big particles go through to our bloodstream and our body sees them and they're like, this is different. I'm going to attack this. And then they create antibodies to our tissues, like for Hashimoto's to the, to the thyroid, um, things like that. So that's where antibodies mainly good, but sometimes they can be bad in regards to autoimmunity. Okay. So do we just naturally get antibodies? There's nothing we have to do to get these, right? Yes and no. So our bodies are pretty amazing. So we can get some passive immunity before our immune system fully develops. And that's through breastfeeding through the mother. We get antibodies when we're exposed to a virus. So this is why some people, they have a healthy, strong immune system. They get in contact with a virus. They first get a little bit of, you know, first the innate immune system where they get the white blood cells react. So they get those neutrophils, increased white blood cells. What that means is you get all the gunk, right? This is when we have a runny, stuffy nose. We have cough, we have phlegm. And we look at these things. I feel like 
you know, and we're like, oh, that's, that's bad. It's a bad thing. It's actually not. Our body's trying to clear the viruses. It's, you know, kind of soaking it up like a sponge and and washing the sponge or, or taking it out to the laundry. So we actually, we, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing to get a runny nose when you're sick. That's your body reacting. That's your part of your immune system trying to get that virus out. And what do we try to do? We try to take all the medication to shut that down. You know, that that's not not always good. So another part of our immune system is that a fever is also very important. So our body creates a fever when it's fighting viruses to, to try to kill the virus. So that's another way to kill the virus. And sometimes we shut that down. Now, in certain circumstances, you should control the fever when it gets too high, obviously. But, you know, a low grade fever or like 100.4 to 100.1, some, when my kids get sick and they get a fever, I, I, I don't give them Motrin or Tylenol. I keep an eye on the fever, make sure it's not getting too high. And I let them chill out and rest, let their immune system work all its magic while I'm keeping an eye on them and hydrating them. So I think a lot of the times we, we do more harm trying to stop our body from, from producing antibodies, from fighting with, um, you know, using the innate immune system to clear out all the virus. So is a fever a way to help get rid of the um, virus? Yeah. So that's one of the mechanisms our body uses to fight virus or bacteria. So when we look at this in conventional medicine, you know, sometimes we want people to be fever free or fight the fever. And in my experience, yes, if someone has a bacterial infection or they're septic, that we do want to control the fever and treat with antibiotics. So that's bacteria. Viruses is a little bit different, right? Um, you know, we don't really have a lot of antivirals that, that work really amazing or anything. You know, viruses, our body and supporting our body to fight the virus is what we should focus on more. So it's kind of two different things because bacteria that are pathogenic or bad or toxic is, is different from viruses, okay? So an example of a bacteria is like staph infection, okay? Something like that, or MRSA, we hear a lot about that, where usually it's not an issue with most people. Um, most people that work in healthcare are actually, they're, they're carriers, carriers of um, staph in their nares just from working there. So like me, for example, I probably have MRSA in my nares just living in there. But because I'm healthy, it doesn't usually cause an issue. But if people are immunocompromised um, or something else is going on to make their immune system weak, then bacteria can overgrow and cause problems. And that then it needs treated with antibiotics to to keep it in control, okay, and kind of aid our body because it could just get out of control. Where viruses, they are just going to kind of run their course almost. And our body needs to catch up, make antibodies, neutralize those things. So if we're talking about COVID, some of the treatments are some antivirals, which kind of help eliminate or decrease the viral load. Okay. Aiding with our body to do that or, um, neutralizing monoclonal antibodies, which are genetically designed 
antibodies that do that lock and key mechanism to the virus and neutralize the virus. Does that make sense? I yeah. know it's confusing. No, that does. Okay. Okay. No, that does. And I have a lot of moms that um, follow this podcast. And so I actually want to ask you this because talking about bacteria and viruses, um, a lot of people, when their kids are sick with that runny nose and the cold and ear infections, they always want an antibiotic. And sometimes pediatricians just pass out those antibiotics. But in reality, those colds and ear infections are viruses, right? So the antibiotics aren't going to do much. Correct. So most of the time, otitis media is a viral infection, okay, which is inner ear infection. So there's actually a lot of studies with the watch and wait approach. So when mothers come to the emergency room, for example, or the primary care doctor, and they look in the ear with the otoscope and they say, oh, it looks a little red, you know, there's a little bit of fluid behind the ear but that's it. And, and sometimes the parents, they want antibiotics because they want their kid to feel better right away. And they think that that is the key, right? So it's not always though bacterial, you know, we can't culture that and grow out the bacteria. We don't know. We're kind of guessing. Now, an alternative you can do is say, we're going to watch and wait. So we're going to give it 24 to 48 hours. If your kid still has a fever, if your kid is feeling worse, um, then just go ahead and start the antibiotics or you can be seen again. So that is kind of giving it that little bit of period because the one thing you don't want to do, you don't want to over-treat ear infections that are, that are bacterial and you don't want to miss a bacterial ear infection because then there rare cases, it can turn into meningitis, right? If it gets out of hand, but usually parents are very good with the watch and wait approach. They, they give it the kid 24 hours. Um, and then if still really high fever, not doing any better, then they could give the antibiotics. Another really good thing is, you know, getting adjustments or, um, I know this is a podcast, but I can try to explain it. You can do an ear massage where you take your fingers like a peace sign, like a V and you put it right in the bottom of the ear and you massage the ear clockwise and counterclockwise. And that allows the eustachian tube to drain. Cause a lot of the times with these kids and why kids get ear infections so young or so many times when they're young, it's because the eustachian tube isn't fully formed. You know, our ears mm -hmm. aren't, aren't like they are when we're adults. So it's more of a flat line instead of an angled line. So the ear can't drain. And when you have stagnant fluid, think about, you know, when you have stagnant fluid out in your driveway or out in your yard, you know, and it gets all dirty and mosquitoes get in there. So bacteria can grow because it's stagnant. So moving that ear, that's why if you think about it, breastfeeding kiddos, and babies, they get less ear infections than bottle fed because they have to work at it to get their food. They have to move that jaw and opening that jaw is moving that eustachian tube. So, so yeah, I know for the parents listening out there, it's so stressful when your kids are sick and get ear infections, but you do also have to balance that with too many antibiotics can wipe out the gut flora when your kids are young. And this is the crucial time when they're developing their gut health and developing part of that really important part of the immune system, which is in the gut health. Right. And about 70% of the immune system is actually in the gut, correct? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a huge part. It is our barrier. And 
you know, a lot of the times when I see people with chronic illnesses, they've had, you know, antibiotics, a big dose of antibiotics or a big, you know, they went to Mexico and had a big GI infection and then they lose that part of their immune system. So I always tell people antibiotics are miraculous, but let's save them for the times that they're actually really needed. Thank you for explaining all of that. Now I know these listeners are thinking, okay, well, my child is sick all the time. They always have these colds or viruses, things like that. And as we've gone through the pandemic, I know there's been a lot of talk about strengthening the immune system. So what are some tips of yours to strengthen the immune system? Does nutrition play a part in this? Yes, absolutely. Nutrition, you know, food is medicine and honestly, the biggest changes are, are with, are with food and diet. So sugar can wreak havoc on our immune system and, and decrease, you know, cells that, that fight diseases for, for hours after you consume sugar. So sugar and alcohol are are really, really rough on our immune system. And those are things that you kind of want to avoid. I mean, it's probably happened to everyone, you know, you, you go on a trip, you have fun, you have a lot of sugar, alcohol, and then you come home and you're sick, right? Mm -hmm. You know, your immune system is kind of in shock and it's a lot for our body. Um, So, so yeah, the best diet for immunity and immune health is going to be an anti-inflammatory diet. So keep inflammation down, lots of whole foods, fruit and vegetables, Think about nourishing your gut, you know, stay away from things like glyphosate or chemicals, which are going to damage the gut health and, you know, therefore damage your immune system. I love it. I'm constantly talking about, you know, eating foods that nourish the body. And so if they're nourishing the body, they're also nourishing your immune system, like the fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, all of those wonderful (laughs) things in nature. Does exercise affect immunity? Yeah. So there are some studies showing how exercise has a positive effect on immune function. The other important thing about exercise is that you are moving your lymph. So we don't want stagnant lymph flow. So you have lymph nodes all over your body and moving them daily is also important. Things like, you know, rebounding, even just a nice walk, Um, that's all going to be helpful. And then exercise in general, if you're keeping your cortisol down and you're, you know, relaxed and and feeling good because your body is strong, that's also going to have a positive effect on your immune system. So when people are actually maybe not feeling very well, is a walk good for their immune system? So when they're actively sick, um, I, you know, listen to your body, take it easy. Okay. Okay. If, if you want, you know, this is more exercise and moving the lymph for before you get sick and keeping your immune system strong, um, healthy and yeah, and strong. But you know, if you have a fever, you should probably give your body a day or two to recover from, from that fever. Okay. So, you know, so say you're sick for a couple of days, you get the flu, you get COVID, give your body time to recover and a gentle walk outside. That's, you know, getting out in nature, grounding, that's going to be positive, but, but yeah, you really, you got to give your time, your body time to rest and, and rebuild once you've been sick. Let's talk about stress because so many Americans are beyond stress or very stressed during the day and stress plays a part in immunity, right? Yeah, it's a huge, huge part. So 
stress and cortisol are, are just not good for, for our health and for our immune system. And it's your body is just not going to function optimally. And sleep is, is really important. It's actually really interesting. There is a study that they did on sleep and people getting vaccines. So I know everyone is talking about, you know, the vaccines and, you know, all of that. And you would think that on the news, they would be like saying, Hey, if you want your vaccine to work better, you need to get sleep. Cause that's what they did in this study. They showed that people that got sleep versus they didn't, they had them not sleep as much. Um, the people that slept had a better antibody response to the vaccine. Oh, that's so fascinating. I, yeah. So, so it's just like, I'm over here and everyone's like talking about the vaccines and you know, all of this stuff. And I'm like, why aren't they talking about how to get the best reaction to the vaccine. So, cause just because you get a vaccine doesn't mean you're going to have antibodies, right? It's not guaranteed. You need to do your part as well. Yeah. So most of them are pretty high to get antibodies, but, um, you know, in my office, I've tested people that have gotten the vaccine and some of them have not had antibodies. This is for COVID and they were bummed out. Let me tell you, but, but yeah, so, you know, preparing your body for, not only getting a virus, but also preparing your body if you decide to get the vaccine. You know, I think we should talk about both of those because all the listeners, you know, might be choosing different things and that's great. And, you know, so make sure you're sleeping no matter what. So um, sleep, you know, varies on age, you know, average adult, usually, you know, around eight hours, seven to nine and you want to make sure that you're getting good sleep. So eating late at night, drinking alcohol at night, lots of sugar before bed, that's going to send your insulin response and your glucose on a roller coaster all night. You might not get deep enough sleep. So you really, it's, it's the whole package, right? All of this sleep and healthy eating, it all plays together. Okay. So let's talk about, well, I have two questions for you. So we'll split them up. Let's first start with stress. So I know you're saying get more sleep, get better quality sleep, but for all these people who are stressed because they're overworked, they're in stress due to effects of COVID, financial, physical, whatever, what are your suggestions for those stressing too much each day? So build up resilience. So one thing I say to my patients a lot is that you can't take away stress, right? Right. I mean, I think it's unrealistic when people say just stress less, you're fine. I because, hate that actually. Cause I'm yes, like, I right? can't, I'm and, busy. And I'm like, yeah, as my kids get older and I deal with like, you know, all this like baseball stuff and dress code at my, you know, school. And it's like, like stress is never going away, but what can change is your resilience or how you cope with stress. So a couple of things that can help are adaptogens. So adaptogens are botanicals that have been used for decades and centuries, you know, like ashwagandha, um, the copa, ginseng, you know, so there's different adaptogens. Rhodiola is a good one too, that you can take that can help your body, you know, even out. So if your cortisol is high or your cortisol is low, it will kind of bring it to middle. So there's different adaptogens you can take. There's also an amazing thing that's free and it's called, you know, meditating, right? So meditating and breath work. So me personally, 
definitely, I was not into meditation much. I would do yoga, um, but I never really took the plunge and meditated until my fellowship. And it was life changing. I can tell when I'm not meditating. Um, I tell people just do it five minutes a day for a week. You know, I, I think that's totally, totally reasonable. Just five minutes a day for a week. And you can use the Calm app, Headspace. There's a lot of different apps out there. And then you can, you, you can tell, like you, you can definitely tell after a week, just give yourself that week. The other thing that's important is breath work. Um, Dr. Weil has the four, seven, eight breath work where you inhale for four, hold for seven and exhale for eight. And you repeat that three times and you can do it like three times a day is what I usually recommend. And you can just whip that out when you're feeling stressed. If you, you know, get something in the mail that stresses you out, an email, you feel your heart start to race, you do the breath work, it's going to activate the parasympathetic system, which is the rest and digest. Um, and the breath work does that because it activates the vagal nerve. Okay. So those little tools will help with the stress will help with the resilience to stress because stress is not going to go away. Right. Right. But I think that's the difference between people that you know, you're like, oh, they have it all together. And it's like, well, they have stress too, right? No mm -hmm. one's life is stress-free, no matter how it might seem on Instagram right. or social media, right? But um, doing the things to help build the resilience, you know, breath work, meditation, adaptogens, getting good sleep, that's all really going to help. And, and that in turn will help your immune system because you're going to be in that rest and digest state that's parasympathetic as opposed to the sympathetic system which is fight or flight you know always on edge always nervous and anxious always go 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 right which is like too many people goal, I feel like they're like oh I'm so busy and it's like no right well and I love those tips that you gave because um years ago, I was like, I'm just too busy to meditate or I'm too busy for breath work. And they were like, no, when you're driving in the car, do the breath work. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that's a perfect time. So now like every time I drive, I'm like, okay, I can breathe. <laughs> yeah. And meditating like five minutes before you go to bed, five minutes when you get up from bed, you know, it's simple. Yeah. We can all take five minutes. So yes, thank you for those little tips. The second question I'm going to go back to that I wanted to ask you about was the vaccine. So what do you suggest to people who are contemplating whether they should get it or not? Yeah. And, and a lot of people are contemplating this. It's, it's a really hard decision. So there's different vaccines out there for COVID, you know, there's the J and J, which uses an adenovirus. So this is like a more traditional, you know, it has an adjunct that irritates the immune system to kind of um, act like you're getting the virus. Cause that's what adjuncts do. They, they have to, irritates, you know, it's like the little brother that irritates the older sister, at least in my house. So you got to irritate them a little bit. So they get, so there's a reaction, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what the, the J and J one is like a more of a traditional vaccine. And then the MRNA ones, they, they work differently. And that's the thing. This is, like I said, it's newer technology. We're still collecting the data. So what I tell my patients is, you know, you kind of have two boxes and you don't know how you're going to react to them. I mean, we just don't know. We don't have a crystal ball. We don't know how everyone is going to react to everything. Some people do really well with COVID, you know, they do really well with it. Um, you know, we get them 
you know, I follow a lot of the, the frontline critical care coalition, the FLCCC. I follow those guidelines and they're amazing. And a lot of people do really well. And then they have natural antibodies and then they have long lasting T cell immunity. And then some people get the vaccine and they do really well with that. And, you know, we hope that they have antibodies. We still don't know how long antibodies last you know, for the virus or for the vaccine. We just don't know there's not enough data or there's not enough studies on it right. yet. So it'll be interesting as it keeps coming out because I have, there are some studies that there is antibodies still eight months out for natural COVID infections. Right, I've seen some of those. So you just suggest to your patients to really do their research and what is, do what's best for them and their health. Yeah, so... We talk about, you know, when I have my patients, we look at their history too, um, you know, and, or I'll have people come to me and they'll have a reaction to the first series of shots, you know, and then we make a decision, you know, do we want to get the second shot or not? So it, it's up to your physician. But the thing is that I think is hard about the whole informed consent picture with medical doctors is because there's no liability against vaccines or vaccine manufacturers, I feel like sometimes you might not be getting an honest answer or a really good talk with your doctor, if that makes sense. Uh, and I'm seeing that a lot. I'm seeing you know, everyone say, oh, there's only one answer to get the vaccine for everybody. And I just don't think that's appropriate because everyone should be individual. And maybe some of the doctors are scared because if they say, you know, if they come the to the decision together, which is informed consent and medical decision-making between the physician and the patient, if they say don't get it and the patient, you know, gets a really bad COVID infection, then, you know, are they going to be held liable then? That makes you know? sense. So I, yeah. think, I think the liability because of what America is with suing doctors and stuff that puts on a whole nother layer that no one's talking about. And it's frustrating. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about that, but it is true. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so important for all of us to do our own research and make our own decisions. Exactly. And you know, you can, when you go to your doctor, you can say, Hey, do you know what the ingredients are in this vaccine? Do you know much about blah, blah, blah. If I got COVID, how would you treat me? What would you do? Or would you just tell me to go to the hospital when I can't breathe? So I think those are questions that you can, you can ask, engage, you know, has your doctor been doing their research? Because let me tell you, it is a lot of work to keep up with all this COVID information, but keep up with it from an unbiased perspective. Because if I just read the emails I was getting, they're so biased. So I have to go back and do my own research and make sure I have both sides. So I am being the best advocate for my patient and not being an advocate of, you know, a pharmaceutical company, because that's not what I went to medical school for. Those are great tips to just talk to your doctor and ask what they would do and if they're a right fit for you. And it's okay if they're not a right fit for you, you can move on to somebody else. Exactly. It's like trying on a dress or shoes, you know, you're, you're not always going to have the perfect fit and you just move on to the next. Right. 
Well, thank you for those tips and thank you for the advice for people to, you know, research for themselves what is best. Okay, I have a question about antibodies and the vaccine since we're talking about the vaccine. Um, I actually had COVID and so I had my antibodies tested and I know I have antibodies and in fact, I just got them tested a few weeks ago, so they're still there. But I've been reading a lot of um, research studies, in fact, a new one from Cleveland Clinic just recently showing that those that have had COVID and then get the vaccine, the vaccine does not actually increase their antibodies. Is that something that is true that you know of? Well, we do know that if you've had COVID and you have those natural antibodies, you're good, right? So I, they haven't really done the research that has shown that, you know, your own antibodies plus vaccine initiated equals more. There's actually, you, there's a concern that if you have COVID antibodies and you get the vaccine, that you could have this kind of priming to your immune system and then have a, you know, more inflammatory response. So I like to test and not guess. And I ask my, you know, you ask your patients, have you had COVID? You know, do you want to check your antibodies? Now, so there's antibodies. So it's, it would be an IgG antibody that you would look for. That is the long lasting antibody. Sometimes when you get tested for COVID, they look for IgM, which is more of an acute short term antibody that doesn't stick around. It's the IgG that sticks around, hangs around. And that's the one that, you know, the vaccine that the long lasting immunity, that's what vaccines look to, to initiate and, and ramp up your body to produce. So I think it's very important. And yes, after that Cleveland Clinic study, which was amazing, you know, why aren't we talking more about natural immunity? And why aren't we talking about how awesome it is to have natural immunity? And like you, you kicked butt, you had COVID. Now you rock your natural antibodies, right? Right. So the other thing is there's T cell immunity. So T cell immunity lasts longer than the IgG antibodies. And T cells, what they do is they, once, if you would get the virus again, the T cell would say, hey, the virus is here guys, and would recruit B cells to make antibodies and all of that. So T cell immunity is amazing too. And there's a test that's FDA um, emergency use authorization approved called T cell detect. And you can go online and just order that and they like ship the kit to your house and you just have to get blood work. I think it's around $200, but if you wanted to know if you had T cell immunity, if you weren't sure if you've had COVID or not. And I think that's really important. It's also interesting because there are some thoughts and studies that there is some cross reactivity with the T cells of a regular coronavirus, which is just like a cold and COVID. So there's that in mind too. So I think people need to know that, you know, all the variants, having variants of viruses is normal. This happens. This is, happens with the flu every year. It happens with different, you know, rhinoviruses, different coronaviruses. So it is a normal thing. And your body is going to see that it's a little similar and make changes because our bodies are very smart. So I, I think that, you know, we do, I'm glad you brought that up about the antibodies and the natural antibodies. And I'm so glad that you have them and got yours tested. That's exciting. I did. And you know, here in Utah, it's actually a popular thing of 
getting your antibodies tested, like a lot of people have done it. But my sister back in Minnesota is like, wait, I've never even heard of that. Like, where do I go? What test do I do? So people can just go to their family doctor, right? And get their antibodies tested. Yeah, absolutely. And not just with COVID. So think about when you've had babies, you get all those vials of blood, they're checking antibodies to rubella and, and different things, right? So we're just not used to it, you know? So a lot of the times, um, even after you've got, if you haven't gotten the full series of say a vaccine, you could get your antibodies checked and see if your body created, um, you know, antibodies or not. Or interestingly, like me, myself for hepatitis B. So I got the hepatitis B before medical school, the series, and they tested my antibodies and they were negative. I did not react. And then I got the series again. This was gosh, like 15 years ago. And I still didn't have antibodies. So I am a non-responder to the hepatitis B vaccine. So, you know, interestingly enough, sometimes you can just not respond, but if you get the natural infection, you, you're gonna, you're gonna make antibodies. So you'll always make antibodies if you get it naturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unless you're immunocompromised and your body can't elicit an immune response. So that, that is the case. And, you know, scary enough, a lot of people are immunocompromised because they're on, you know, Umera or, you know, all of these, these different medications that suppress the immune system because they have an autoimmune disease. So we're trying to suppress the immune system with these biologicals. So, um, there's just, it's just a crazy world. We're really getting away from health. I feel like. And being censored if we talk about health. Right. That's for sure. I do know that. You and I both know that from Instagram. Yes. But then again, that's why this COVID shot needs to be individualized for each person to do their own research and make their own decision. Because someone who's autoimmune compromised is going to have maybe a different decision than myself. So... Yeah, I I believe every medical decision needs to be individualized. Um, Unfortunately, I I know it makes it harder, but we're all genetically different and have different circumstances. Okay, I know you mentioned one last thing about COVID that I want to ask, because I don't think we touched upon it. You said if people have COVID in their home, you were talking about supplements. What supplements do you recommend if they do get COVID? Yes. So I would recommend people go to the FLCCC website and they have an amazing protocol there. And that's basically what I follow. So zinc is, you know, amazing. So what it's going to do is help, you know, viral help protect you from the virus. And then quercetin is a zinc ionophore. So it actually brings zinc into the cells and helps. So quercetin is amazing. Zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D, which, you know, it's finally summer in Ohio, so you can go outside and get some of that. Um, and then melatonin, cause that's going to help, um, decrease some cytokine response and it's an antioxidant. So those are the main ones that, you know, for protecting, for protecting the virus from entering and from protecting, decreasing viral replication. Okay. Good to know. Moving from COVID, I'm going to move to a new topic that moms ask me quite often, and it's about allergies. A lot of moms deal with allergies with their children, 
And do allergies relate to immunity at all? Yes. So allergies, I believe, are really heavily related to poor gut health and leaky gut. Because you're developing all these allergies. Um, Usually if we tighten up the tight junctions in the gut, then we're having improvement of the allergies. So, you know, there's just so many allergies. There's also some hypothesis that we have allergies in America more because our IgE, which is a acetaminophils, sorry. And um, if we, we have those, and those are usually reserved for parasites. So in like third world countries, they don't have as many allergies because they have parasite infections going on. So there's a lot of different viewpoints on why kids get severe allergies, why they have them. But I found in my practice that if we work on the gut health, the allergies get better. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I know you've talked a couple times about leaky gut. Will you just explain to my listeners exactly what that is? Yeah. So leaky gut is also called intestinal permeability. And what that is, is we have these tight junctions in our intestine, in our gut. And what they do is they protect our outside world, you know, what we eat, what we ingest from the inside, from our blood. And what happens is when that, when that layer gets damaged, then we have leaky gut. So we have things leaking through or passing through where they shouldn't be. And when that happens, our body gets kind of ramped up because it gets, you know, all these things are coming in at it and it doesn't know what to do. So a lot of the times leaky gut can be caused by a dysbiosis or an imbalance of good and bad bacteria in the gut. Glyphosate, which is Roundup, a pesticide is very tough on our gut health. Um, A lot of things can trigger leaky gut. Also stress, stress can change. Um, the acidity in our gut, and that can lead to, you know, different infections and all of that. So leaky gut is, it's, it's very difficult um, because you, you really need to, to treat it. And a lot of that is diet related. Supplements can be helpful, but stress control is, is also really big. So leaky gut can contribute to a poor immune system, these allergies that we were talking about and a lot of other factors, right? Yeah, autoimmune diseases, um, you know, anxiety, your know, mental issues, once we clean up the gut, those improve. So, it, you know, more and more research is coming out about leaky gut, leaky brain, you know, all these things, and how everything is kind of tied to gut health. It's, it's really important. So if you were to give your patients like five things to help their leaky gut, what do you suggest to them? For leaky gut, so I like to use different, you know, probiotics. So we want to balance out what might be bad. So sometimes we test, I like to test and not guess a lot. So if they do have leaky gut, I usually put a spore-based probiotic in there. We then balance the gut health by either eliminating if it's like candida going on or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Zinc is healing for the gut. L-glutamine is usually in there. Um, There's also herbs like marshmallow root, slippery elm, 
aloe vera, those are very healing to the gut because we want to calm down inflammation and let the gut heal. Another thing that's important is not just probiotics, which are, you know, the bacteria, but prebiotics. And that's kind of what our bacteria feeds on. So it would be like having a flower that you don't water, right? So you need to, to feed and water that bacteria in the gut. And pre prebiotics are good, like acacia fiber, um, different kind of fibers, Jerusalem root. Um, you know, there's different, there's like drinks out there that you can drink a lot of prebiotics. So uh, a lot of, you know, I think that products are, are catching up, you know, with, with what we need to do with our gut health. So we have better choices out there. Okay. So I love that you talked about the gut health like that, but I'm going to ask you now about supplements. You just reminded me with talking about those different herbs and things. When kids are sick, do you recommend supplements? Do you recommend supplements when they're not sick on a daily basis? What's your view on that? Yeah. So supplements with children, you can think about it a couple of ways. So like my kids, for example, I can kind of go through what we do with them. So they do take a multivitamin. So multivitamins are to fill in nutritional gaps, right? So we, we should be getting, you know, enough magnesium or calcium or zinc, for example, from our foods, we should be getting these things, but because of monocropping and all this stuff with, with farming are, you know, the broccoli that our grandparents ate, you know, had lots of vitamin C in it or magnesium, but today it's not going to have as much. So we have these nutritional gaps and we're eating more packaged food, which has nutritional, you know, which is like void of nutrition, right? So multivitamins are going to fill in those nutritional gaps. So they're good for kids because, you know, kids aren't going to eat perfect, right? Sometimes yeah. they're picky. Sometimes they eat their vegetables. Sometimes they don't. Um, so my kids do take um, one of those. My kids take elderberry. Honestly, sometimes they just like how the gummies taste and I'm just like, fine, you can take it all the time. <laughs> so elderberry has been shown to help with flu prevention. So when my kids go back to school, this year was totally weird because there was like no flu, hardly any RSV, but, but there was COVID, right? Because of the mask wearing. It's just right. very interesting. Everything kind of changed. Um, so elderberry, very good research with helping prevent and then actual some treatment studies on elderberry with influenza. Now COVID, if my kids got COVID or when we kind of had it around our house, elderberry, you know, we stopped that because it can kind of promote that cytokine response, you know, with the research. So elderberry is one good for flu back off when you get COVID for that one. So that is a good, you know, kind of immune boosting. And what I tell parents is you can cycle the elderberry. So take breaks. And that's what, you know, in a lot of botanicals, you can kind of take a couple weeks off. So your body doesn't get too used to it. So in the multivitamin for kids, it's going to have zinc, which is important. It's going to have some vitamin C. If your kids are getting sick, someone's sick in the house, you can increase their vitamin C. So you can get like some drinks that have vitamin C, you know, they have um, vitamin C drinks for kids, um, you know, supplementations that you can mix in water. Um, another thing that I give my kids is dehist. And what it does is it has knack in it. 
and it has some vitamin C in it and it has stinging nettle and all of that stuff. So they started taking it. Um, just my one son, he would get a little bit of allergies, kind of reactions, inflammation, but now they just like how it tastes. It's really funny. So they just get that daily because I like that it has knack in it. And knack is really good because um, it's a precursor to glutathione. It also is good for the respiratory system and stuff. So that's a good one for the kids when they get sick. So the other things when kids get sick, they might not want to take supplements. They might be kind of difficult. They might not feel good. So that's when you would try to give them like a drink with some vitamin C in it or bone broth if they would drink that. And honestly, if a kid's sick and they don't want to eat, just hydrate them. Okay. They don't really like have to eat. It's because our immune system's working and it doesn't want to take the energy or the time to digest food. So, you know, that's one thing that I know people get worried about. They're not eating. If it's 24 hours and they're just snacking a little and they're staying hydrated, that's their body trying to, to do the work. And, right. you know, kids do really well. I mean, you can, you know that, yes. right? I mean, yep. kids do so good when they get sick. And then they'll be hungry afterwards is what I found. A few days after yeah. when they're feeling good, all of a sudden their appetite's back and they're starving and they'll tell yeah. you when they're hungry. They'll let you know. Right. Thank you so much for just teaching my listeners about the immune system and little different tips they can do and about the pandemic and how to increase their immune system. I really appreciate that. I always end asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in their life. That is such a good question. So I would say for me, faith, because Throughout my journey to medical school, to transitioning to integrative medicine, you know, I prayed a lot about it. And, you know, with me having my autoimmune disease, I, I just had to have faith, faith in my body, faith in God, faith in my purpose. So I would say faith. Faith is such a great one because you really do just need that trust and that hope that what you're doing is right. And yeah, you're doing in life what you need to be doing. So I love that. Tell my listeners where they can find you. Well, for the time being, I hang out a lot on Instagram. I'm trying to behave on there. It's difficult <laughs> sometimes, as you know. <laughs> so my Instagram handle is Integrative Doctor Mom. And also I have a website, Integrative Doctor Mom. You could sign up for um, newsletters there. And then my office is PlegMed, it's P-F-L-E-G-M-E-D.com. And I do have a brick and mortar practice in Ohio. So that is a lot of fun and very rewarding. Thank you so much for being here today. You guys, if you don't follow her, go follow. You will learn so much from her Instagram account. I have loved following you. And I love that you're a mom and it can all relate to your kids and you show that. And so thank you for teaching people in a simple, easy way. And thank you again for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.